Um, Bible tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for correcting and teaching and training in righteousness. The Bible is really important. And, and as you get older and you think you know more, uh, what, what I, well, I'm talking about myself, but I think a lot of people do it. We tend to, we end up with a whole lot of beliefs. You know, I've got my 44 core beliefs. And uh, actually for most of them, because I've preached and done Bible studies and stuff, I've got a little story that goes with a lot of them. And you've heard those stories so many times. And, and every now and again, then you come across a, a passage which I kind of haven't worked through before. I'm not that interested in it. I don't have a cute little story about circumcision to tell you um, because <laughs> I brought pictures. Um, <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Um, but uh, this is one of those passages. And what I find is it is so good when you come to a passage that you've never studied that much, you've never looked at, and you try and go into it in some depth. And, and you find it's exciting and God speaks to you. And uh, I, I really enjoy that. Um, I wasn't joking about the circumcision. That's what our passage is uh, chiefly about. Uh, it's about circumcision and about being a Jew. A Jew. I just was wondering how many of you woke up this morning and thought, I'm going to church. I hope I, hope I find out that I'm a Jew because I'd really like to be one. Anybody think that? Uh, is it that interesting to you? There's a kind of, what's the point of that? Um, I'm a Christian, right? Uh, but hopefully I'll find out today I'm a Jew. Yeah, it's about that, actually. That's, uh, so hopefully that's towards the end. Uh, that's uh, going to be that big sum up and you're going to love it. But um, today is a, a, it's a bit weird. It's a bit, in, it's a bit of a different subject. So with that in mind, we're looking at Romans chapter 2, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Okay. We're going to go through this passage, and uh, I will use a fair bit of other scripture, and I'll try and talk quickly. Um, and I'm going to start by the obvious question. And I hope you're not. I hope you're kind of weirded out by someone standing in front of you saying, "What is circumcision?" Uh, but uh, but let's go through this because it's actually mentioned a, a whole lot through Scripture. And you know, it is the cutting off of a part of the flesh of a male. Let's, we just have to be honest about that. That's what it is. Okay, and it was given to Abraham. As a sign that, that this is a sign that you're my people, your sons will do this, or you'll do this to your sons. It's a generational sign. It's about reproduction. It's kind of with the reproduction bits, yeah? And um, it came along with Abraham, a promise to Abraham, you'll have a son. 
when he was really old. And you don't have sons when you're really old, especially when your wife's really old too. Um, And in essence, it's a gross, bloody act. And in essence, it's also intimate because it's part of your body which is kind of, you know, not something that you... Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything I would say there would be inappropriate, so I'm just <laughs> stopping halfway through that sentence. Now, um, <laughs> it's not awkward, just for me, is it? <laughs> I mean, you've you got to wonder, as someone said, I, I listened to a message, said, why didn't God ask you to get a tattoo? That would be easy, on the arm. Yeah, much nicer. But uh, he, he, he used this sign. And it goes along with a whole body of scripture which talks about a language of being cut off. Okay? A piece of flesh is cut off and it's a sign that you are my people and you will not be cut off from me. You are my people. Okay? But there had to be blood shed for it. And in the the New Testament, we see that circumcision is fulfilled at the cross. So I'm jumping right the gospel bit, right up front. Not, not saving it for the end. How about that? Colossians 2.11 says this, In him, that's in Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, you having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You were circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. You were circumcised along when he was circumcised, except it's not talking about that act when he was circumcised as a child because it's talking about something that was done not by human hands. And it's talking about the cross, and at the cross Jesus was cut off from the Father. He was separated from the Father. He received the curse as he received. He received the curse of our sin. That is cut off from God. You know that being cut off is, is kind of always the curse of sin. If you lie and to your, someone you love, if you cheat on them, there is a punishment. There's a curse to that. And it's quite simply being cut off, isn't it? There's a separation that occurs there. That's what happens. Jesus was cut off and in, for our sin... He took our abandonment, that is, our separation from God, and he was cut off from life for us. That's why circumcision is important, but it's not the outward sign. And you see in every passage about circumcision, you you missed the point. It's a bit like someone might believe that a baby or an adult is is, uh, saved through baptism. And you go, no, no, baptism is a sign of what God's done in in that life, okay? It's not what saves them. It, it's symbol that points upwards. Does that make sense? And circumcision, in the same way, pointed upwards to something God was doing. Okay. So it's not actually about the act or the ritual or the knife or the delicate operation. Okay. But here's the problem with the people Paul was writing to. The Jews placed more confidence in circumcision than anything else. So what they were saying is, we're right with God because this happened to us when I was seven days old or eight days old or I forget which one it was. Um, And they didn't 
They weren't obeying God's law, but they were saying, that's cool, I'm circumcised. I'm right with him. They thought, I'm loved, I'm accepted. God delights in me because of this thing that happened to me. And so their confidence in life was about this. Now, I don't know about any of you. I, uh, if, if, if that's a thing that you go around and say, oh, I'm so confident because I've been circumcised. I mean, half of you are ruled out already. But, um, that, but we, don't, we don't do that. But we do do it with other things. Where, what is that thing that you do or you've done or you've experienced and you think in your heart, well, God accepts me because of that. And if we do uh, have that thought, then the, the, we, we miss the point of the inward as compared to the outward. Because uh, I've heard people uh, say, if you've ex- had this experience, then you can know that you're God's. Or if you've done this act, if you've said this prayer in this sort of way and you've turned from enough of your sin, then you've done what you need and you can have confidence. Or if you try really hard to believe and you can convince your own mind that this is true, then you can have that confidence. Or if there's been some sort of miraculous show that you've done or been part of, then you can have confidence. God is obviously there. And all of those things are the thought that God accepts you because of something outward, something you can lay your hands on as such. And I think what Paul's saying is, you might as well go and get circumcised if you think that's going to help. That's kind of a joke because I don't want you to do that. Okay. Because this act is not done by human hands. It's done by God. When the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to your life and to your heart. That's what you need. Okay? God has to bring his redemption to you. It is his work. So that you cannot boast. You can't say, look, I've got the tattoo. I'm safe. And that work comes through the cross. And at the cross, God gives you perfect obedience to the law because Christ obeyed all of the law and he's given you his obedience. So that's not yours either. So you can't say, have a look at me. I've been so good. Like, I mean, we all care about what other people think of us. But we can actually spend all of our lives trying to set this up so that everybody can say, what a good bloke Derek is. Isn't he so good? How many you must all think I'm pretty holy? Um, hands up? <laughs> okay. Um, because we want to be seen in that way. And what it's saying is what people think of you doesn't make a skerrick of difference. It's what God's done on the inside through the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that makes you the person that is accepted by God, delighted in by God. Does that make sense? You never actually own it. Okay, so if a man uh, who is uncircumcised uh, receives the pre- keeps the precepts of the law, that's actually more important, the law of God, than some outward sign. And the one who's physically uncircumcised uh, keeps the law and condemns those who have the written code, who've got the law of God, but they still break the law. So what, I, I think we get what he's saying there. There's this written code, but... Being a Christian or being a Jew is not actually about a set of superior moral laws, which is often what's put out by Christian lobby groups in the community. 
Christianity has the highest and most wonderful set of morals. And if we all obey them, wouldn't it be a wonderful world? And you go, that's not actually what Christianity is about. That is the byproduct of Christianity. You, you are changed by God. But the heart of Christianity is actually about knowing him and loving. What is that? What's the sum up of all the law? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving your neighbour as yourself. That's actually what the law's about, which is not actually a moral... Well, it is, it's a superior moral code for sure, but you can't legislate love. Imagine, let's write all the laws. Just, just pick marriage and let's get the women to do it. I want you to write all the laws about what marriage should look like and what true love in marriage should look like and then give it to your husband and say, away you go. <laughs> I know you do it in your head anyway, but um, <laughs> not looking at anyone, Lily. Um, <laughs> but you can't legislate love, can you? But when God comes with the work of his cross and the power of his Holy Spirit and he changes your heart, something huge happens. You actually want to love because you've got a renewed life. Love becomes your natural way of being. It's not an outward boast, it's a changed life. Okay? Now, have I changed subject here? No. Now, by the way, I'm going to go back to this circumcision subject, but understand this is always the way it's been. Circumcision didn't start as a ritual and then later on become. Because in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 9, 23, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. I'll punish those. And then he named a heap of nations and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair and do all these the right stuff for all these nations are uncircumcised and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. He's saying you're just like the other nations around. Okay? Because you need to be circumcised in your heart. Now what does that look like? Well now I'm going to Jeremiah 9.23 which is the previous passage. He says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. How about that? There's something something worth taking home with you. That you understand and you know the Lord. And that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now, did you notice there, who does he delight? Well, what, is, what are we delighting in? What we do? Actually, we, the Lord delights in himself, really. The Lord is the one who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. And then when he gives us a renewed heart, we become people who become like him. Does that make sense? Our heart is changed. But it's an inward change. And it, what, what happens, the person who is uh, circumcised of heart, what actually happens is this. Our pleasure and our duty become one. Because often we think about obeying the law or loving. You know how, you know, love's hard work, right? It's a duty. I have to do this. I don't feel like being nice to Jody today, but I have to be nice to you. I have to. It's just my job. Yeah, it's a duty. But what happens when the heart is changed, or in this language circumcised, is your 
duty becomes your delight. I love to love. It's not a duty. I've got to go to church. got to read the Bible. I've got to pray for 10 minutes each morning. I've got to do all this stuff. No, it actually becomes our delight. Out of that heart of love, we want to love God. We want to love those around us. That's a circumcised heart. Our pleasure and our duty are one. Okay. And so the last verse in this, verse 29, is kind of the sum up verse of everything. And it goes back to this Jewishness. But he says this, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Who, his, what does it mean, his praise? The one who had the circumcised heart. He doesn't care about what men think of him. He's got nothing to boast in, nothing to show off in. He cares what God thinks of him. And, and what does God think of him? God delights in him. God's really pleased with him. God, what's the word? Praises him. How about that? You've had a changed heart because when God looks at you, he sees Christ. And how perfect is Christ? Perfect. So he sees you with the righteousness of Christ. And this is by the spirit, not by the letter, not by the written code. And the spirit does something... Having changed our heart, he drives us to obedience and we love it. Don't you, actually, don't you love it when you live in love? It's actually great, isn't it? And don't you hate it when you live in hate? Don't you hate it when you mess up? Don't you hate it when you hurt people? When you gossip? I mean, we love gossip, but, but we hate it. So it's the Holy Spirit that does this. So in Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this, And I will give you a new heart, this is through Jesus, and I will put a new spirit, uh, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So that's a complete heart change. That's a circumcised heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my laws. I will put my spirit in you and he will make you obey my law and he'll make you love my law. Isn't that good? That's talking about a complete change. Okay. So, those who are circumcised are actually called Jews and we're talking about a circumcision of the heart. Now, I said before... Why would you really want to become a Jew? I mean, I'm happy. When I, feel, when I filled out the census the other day, I wrote Christian in the religion section. I'm happy with that. I didn't write plus a Jew in brackets or something like that. I, I I'm not, didn't need that. So why does he make this point about being a Jew? In, in one sense, he's speak, when you're speaking to Gentiles, he's speaking to a group of people who have no history of the of of the truth of God. They come in at Jesus. And sometimes people go to other cultures and, and they get a group of people who've never heard anything about anything. And where do you start? You don't kind of start with Genesis and you don't tell them about Leviticus for a start, generally. You kind of start with Jesus, don't you? But, um, and, and, and the Jews are there and the Gentiles are there too. And what he's saying is, well, I'm going to tell you a weird story. It's from the Bible, so it's all right. Okay, so I don't know if anyone's come across this little... 
it, it's in Exodus 4, and I'm, just, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the whole lot because I'll be here all day. But Moses is talking to God at the burning bush, right? And Moses is having some doubts, and God was showing Moses, you know, there's some signs you should do. You know, there's, you're going to drop your staff, and it's going to turn into a snake, and put your hand in, and it comes out with a band, you no, know, it comes out with leprous, and then you put it back in. You've got some signs. And, and he says, and that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So do these signs. And Moses says then, O oh Lord, please send someone else. Moses, if you ever read, want to see a, a, a whining, whinging Moses, read Exodus chapter 4. He's, he's really like, I don't want to do it. And, and then God gets angry with him and says, you know, Aaron's going to speak for you. And go back and go to Pharaoh. Are you going to do these miracles before him? But I'm going to harden his heart. So he's not even going to listen to you. He won't let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is verse 22. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Which is what eventually happened to Egypt. Right. Now, that's not the weird bit. You kind of know that story of the Exodus. It's this next part that what happens immediately after. So they're heading off to Egypt. Moses and Mrs. Moses, who's called Zipporah. And at a lodging place, I'm reading from verse 24. You got that up there? What's it? Exodus 4, verse 24. Is that hard to find? At the lodging place... On the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Hang on. The God who just called you off to Egypt, you're on your way to Egypt, and the Lord sought to put him to death when they're on their motel room halfway there. Moses' wife, then, sorry, then Zipporah, Moses' wife, that is, yeah, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Or put it on his foot, basically. And she said, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So then he, that's the Lord, let him alone. It was said then, uh, it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So Moses has been called off to do this. It is a strange story, right? And then God says, I'm going to kill him who I just called. And then Zipporah circumcises Moses' son and throws his foreskin on his foot. And, and then it's all good. What's going on there? Well, obviously, up to then, Moses was not circumcising his son, which is what Jews had to do. True? Yeah? He hadn't circumcised him. And he was heading out to save people, God's people. I'm on a mission from God, like Blues Brothers. And, and, but you see, what he, he thought, he was getting in his head, right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the saviour of the people. I'm going to be the Messiah. And so he didn't need to circumcise because he was a new star. He was, he was uh, just going into this and... Uh, it wasn't about anybody else. And what he didn't hear, you see, was that bit I read where he said that they may believe, and you too, Moses, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In other words, Moses, you've got a history. 
You've got something you belong to. Yeah? You are in a line of people. You are not the people. Right? Despite what we think in the Western world, it's not all about us. God actually loves his people, the church. And everything he's doing is not just for me. It's for all of us. You understand? He's a corporate God. And Moses had missed that point. And so he thought, I don't need all that history. I don't need the Old Testament, actually. I don't need any of that. Um, And he nearly died because of it. And lucky he had a wife who understood what was going on here. And as wives are very good at, sometimes they bring people back down to earth and say, you're not the Messiah to the husbands. That's a good thing, isn't it? You see, Moses was going out. His work was a duty. He was whinging about it. He needed a changed heart where he would delight to do the Lord's will, where it would be a pleasure. And Zipporah, his wife, happened to help him along to just highlight that problem by that whole act. You need to submit to God's law, Moses, which requires blood, or else you'll be cut off. And Moses, you need to see that you come from the line of Abraham and you fit in God's plan and you aren't God's plan just on your own. Do you understand what's going on here? So why do we need to be Jews or why do we need to use that? Doesn't say it's a weird thing even coming from my mouth. I've never said anything like this before. It's just a, a whole new thought. Why is it important to know we're Jews? Because it's important for us to know that we've got a history and we fit into God's plan and that we know that the Old Testament belongs to us. And Abraham, that promise to Abraham that all nations on earth will be blessed, is our promise. It belongs to us. And his father, Abraham, he's not just Abraham, he's not just some bloke. He is the one that we're in the line of because we are the people of faith. The promise that was made to him is the promise made to us. Do you understand? And Israel, the Jews, come from Jacob, who was Abraham's grandson. And Jacob was called, changed his name to Israel. And his name was changed from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means the one who wrestles with God, who contends with God, who's always... Who's, God's come into... And, and, Actually, the life of Christians wrestling with God, isn't it? It's not, all, it's not all easy. We actually wrestle a lot. We wrestle in prayer, but we wrestle when we don't understand and we don't know what God's doing in his will. That's us. That's, what, that's, our, that's our identity. And, and, and You see, we, we want to make our own identity, and God says, no, you've got an identity. You're a Jew. You have a history, and you are going to be the one who contends and wrestles with God and struggles with him all your life. So if you're finding that you're struggling with doctrine and things going on in your life, just yeah, that's right. That makes you a normal Christian who's a, with a Jewish background. And understand that's what God's got for you. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and the other thing about Jacob is he was, he was a rat bag. He really got it wrong. And, but towards the end, he just keeps on getting it wrong. <laughs> that's our history. That's us. Chosen by God. Going to get it wrong lots. Chosen by God, loved by God, a future of God. So we're Jews. And David, let's not pick on David for all his bad stuff. The beautiful psalms and worship songs he wrote, they're ours. And we find ourselves in them, don't we? And Samson, talking about Samson, he, you know he was such a man of faith, that's what he's called, a man of faith. What did he do? Well, he was a violent 
womanizer in general. And the only real act that he did was any good in saving the people was when he committed suicide at the end. <laughs> he pushed out the poles and everything fell on him and killed all the people. God's got some rat bags in his group and they're the people he chooses. And, and God's going to be choosing people all our lives and we're going to go, what are you doing with that person in your church, God? But do you, do you get what I said? That history is our history. And God says this thing to his people. I, I choose you. We're called God's chosen people. That's our promise. What an awesome promise. And I heard people say stuff like, yeah, but God chooses those who choose him, which means that God's subject to us, really. <laughs> His will is subject to our will. No, no, the Bible didn't say that. It just says God chose. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Have a load of that. Now, no, make it say something different. No, don't make it say something different. Just accept it and love it and know that you sit in a line of chosen people that comes from the beginning. You're his treasured possession. That's an Old Testament word. Own it. Okay? You are under his faithful love and, his, and as far as the east is from the west, he's removed your sins. Uh, also Old Testament. Yep. Do you understand what I'm saying? You sit in a line and it's a glorious line. And we, sometimes we pay out the Jews and, and did they get it wrong? Yeah. It's like, because we all get it right. <laughs> no, we sit in that line of people who get it wrong. And are loved and chosen by God and saved by his son. That's our line. And later on in Romans 9 verse 3, Paul's talking about how he loves the Jews. And he wishes he could. He said, I'd, I'd die if they could all be saved. In uh, Romans 9 verse 3. For I, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, patriarchs is like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and stuff. And from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Now, if that's the Jews, that's us. All of those things belong to us. All of the promises of God. And we have been grafted into the olive tree. That's the language he uses in Romans. And guess what? We're going to produce olives. Because that's what we are. We're part of that. And so we can know this. And the very last part of verse 29 says, His praise or our praise is not from men or from God. We don't care what people think of us. We care what God thinks of us. That's the only thing that counts. But can you see that? I'll say it again. God praises his people. He loves his people. Yep. He sees us perfect in Christ and he delights in us. What a great promise that is. Do you feel delighted in? He delights in you. I'm probably not going to go home from today and get a T-shirt printed that says I'm a Jew. That's not going to happen. But what's got to be is this. We know we have a heritage which is as... And our confidence is not in our actions or our experiences, but in the action of God and what he's done for us in Christ. And we fit into his plan and we're not the centre of his plan, but we are a beloved part of his plan. Okay, And we are not the messiahs, but we're the ones who know that the promised messiah is ours. He is Jesus. 
And all of our confidence comes from him alone. And he was cut off from God so that we would know we will never be cut off from God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That great promise God made to Moses. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would give us great encouragement in this and that we would understand and that we would go out of here with confidence, with joy in our hearts because we know we fit in your plan. And Father, I pray that we would see that the inward is everything and that Jesus is the one who alone makes that inward change in us and in the power of the Spirit that you are changing us to delight in you, in your commands, in your law and in the love that you call us to. I pray that you would give us a new understanding and, Father, that we would boast because we are those who know you and we know you because of what your son has done. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.